All right, Fritz Bourbon, bloodandfaith.com. It's the after show. It's uh, Sunday, 22nd of January, 2023, and we are continuing on the theme of war. War at home, war abroad, war in Europe, war in Ukraine, war with Russia. I want to go back to an article that I wrote in early 2019, three years ago. It's been three years. I've been working on that article for a while, but I, I wrote it three years ago. It talks about war with Russia. It gives a historical context for Russia's relationships with the West, with Europe, and by extension with the United States of America. And it was not an optimistic uh, summary. It was not an optimistic paper. Uh, and and it, uh, well, let me go ahead and get into it a little bit. This paper frames the West historical relationship with Russia. It speculates on the rationality of a general war and the possibility the possible outcomes in such a war. Here's a little history for you. In 1783, Russia annexed Crimea after a war with the Muslims. Crimea, that peninsula, was used as a slave base where the Muslims captured Christian slaves and took them south and, and, and made them their slaves. It was a, a culling field for the Muslims to go in and, and grab Christians and take them out of there. The Tsar, uh, uh, I think it was Catherine the Great, said that enough of that stuff. And she went in there and she kicked out the Muslims. And Sevastopol becomes the uh, headquarters for the uh, Russian black fleet. In, so that's how, that's Crimea. That's how they got Crimea. In 1812, French and Allied forces, here we go again, Western Europe, French and Allied forces under Napoleon invaded Russia with 600,000 soldiers. 600,000. I mean, that's a massive Western Allied army. The political pretext for the invasion was to protect Poland from Russia. Where have we heard that before? But control of trade was at the heart of the matter. Napoleon unified Europe, established a trading system, and opposed an international order. Gee, sounds familiar. After suffering battle at the Battle of Konigsberg in 1807, they refused a stand-up fight. The Russians refused a stand-up fight with Napoleon's army. They retreated back to Moscow. They were going to lose Moscow, so they burned Moscow to the ground. The Russians burned their own city to the ground, and they burned all the supplies and the food that they had so that it wouldn't turn, be turned over to Napoleon. Think about that for a minute. If they can't win, they're going to make sure the other side doesn't win as well. They burnt their own city to the ground and burned all the supplies that the Allies could have used. Keep this in mind as we think about going to war with Russia. They weren't going to win, but they said, by God, we're, we're going to make sure you guys don't win either. Napoleon lost his entire army. It destroyed him. It destroyed his army. Everybody but a handful died. 1853, here's another war. British, French, and the Muslims declared war on Russia. The Allies prevailed. They invaded Crimea, occupied Sevastopol, and destroyed the Russian fleet. 
The terms of the surrender dictated that Russia could no more have a navy in the Black Sea. That was the second time the Russia that uh, Russia was invaded by the West in the 1800s. World War One. This will be the third time. With the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk in 1918, the new Russian government made its peace with the Germans, surrendered the Baltics, and the Western Allies, France, England, the United States, responded by sending troops into Russia. 13,000 American troops went into Russia during World War I. The Japanese also sent forces into Russia, and the U.S. refused to recognize the Soviet government until 1933. I'm very familiar with that. It was, it was uh, grad school stuff. That was the third time the West invaded Russia as allies, United Western Force, since 1812. It's hard to believe, but American military officers, not all of them understand that we had 13,000 American soldiers in Russia intervening during the Civil War. Now, what, what, how do you perceive the West if you are a Russian leader or a Russian student? Americans don't study history anymore. Okay, here's, here's number four, Operation Barbarossa. It was the largest invasion force in the history of warfare, 1941. Germany's purpose in the invasion of Russia was to capture the wheat and oil fields in the Ukraine. Well, there's the Ukraine. How about that? and use Slavs, Russians, as cheap labor. At great cost, the Russians stalled the German advance on the outskirts of Moscow. Of the 5 million Russians captured by the Germans, 3 million died in captivity. German policies of starvation further reduced Russian and Ukrainian populations. Okay, we certainly know that under Stalin's secret police, run by... <coughs> certain ethnic minority starved millions of Russian Christians. All right, there's, but, but three million died. Three million died in, in German captivity, above and beyond everything that, that died from the starvation policies that were imposed on the country, which are coming to the United States by the, by the same group of people. Coming to the United States, they're working on it. Why do you think all these food warehouses and food distribution facilities are burning down? Why do you think there's avian bird flu and pig flu, uh, swine flu, uh, manufactured? Could these be manufactured in order to starve people into submission? Starvation is a great tool to figure out how to rule over other people. It's always been used, used in Russia, used in China. Don't be surprised if it comes around again. So World War II was the fourth invasion of Russia since 1812. At the end of World War II, after defeating the Nazis and pushing them back into Western Europe, Russians declined to retreat back to Russian borders. As a result, Western Europeans formed NATO, 1955, Russia responded and formed the Warsaw Pact. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, 1991, and the collapse of the Warsaw Pact, 
and the Soviet Union. Instead of disbanding, NATO expanded east. Since 1990, 12 additional European countries were added to the NATO alliance. The possibility of Ukraine leaving the Russian orbit and joining NATO provided incentives for Russia to counter with her own Ukrainian initiatives, which, though short of strategic war, is war nonetheless. Now, this was written three years ago. Now we have war. Now we actually have a war in Ukraine. And who's rushing to the defense of Ukraine? The same people that rush to the defense of Poland. The West. This is why history is important. How did Russia react when it was invaded? They weren't going to surrender. <laughs> they may not win, but they weren't going to surrender. I'd also consider you uh, ask people to listen to the language that we use when we talk about Putin. American political leaders, again, written three years ago, began referring to Putin in the same language they had referred to other despots, including Saddam Hussein, Hosni Mubarak, Muammar Gaddafi, and Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Senator Rubio called him a gangster and a thug. Obama called him a thug. Pa Paul Ryan called him a devious thug. Compare this to comments U.S. leaders made towards other enemies. John Kerry called Bashar al-Assad al a thug and a murderer. Bush called Saddam Hussein a thug. And he called Al-Qaeda a group of thugs. Bernie Sanders called Gaddafi a thug and a murderer. There's pattern, it's called pattern recognition. You're going to demonize the guy and get him out of office. And all these other people were attacked as well. Historically speaking, it can be argued that Russia continues a defensive war with Western European allies that began in 1812. Events since 1991, which is the expansion of NATO, could rationally be reinterpreted or interpreted as a continuation of historical animosity. Given the West history with Russia, given the expansion of European influence eastward towards Russia, given the heightened anti-Russian rhetoric in the West, matched by military deployments eastward towards Russia, it is not hard to imagine that Russia paranoia has some substance behind it. It's written in 20, early 2019 by yours truly. Here's the historical analogy. In the late 1930s, so what I mean by that is I'm going to tell you a story about a different parts, part of the world that, that could give us insight into what's going on with Russia. And I'm talking about Japan in the 1930s. In the late 1930s, Japan was at war in its own near abroad. The United States imposed Imperial Japan and instituted a series of economic sanctions against the island, not unlike sanctions currently imposed upon Russian interests. Japan concluded that its best option was to attack U.S. naval forces in Hawaii and end military power projection in the Pacific. Japan perceived that the alternative to general war would be the surrender of the Japanese empire and the loss of economic independence. The Japanese attack succeeded for two years, then reversed slowly beginning in 1943. 
it's not unreasonable for Russia to come to a similar conclusion. Strike now or, or wait strangulation. Again, written three years ago. In other words, Japan in the 1930s, they were involved in their nearby. They were involved in, in, uh, on the mainland. And Russia said, you're being naughty. You're invading sovereign country, countries. And we put all kinds of economic sanctions on them. And, and, and the Japanese said, you know, we don't need to put up with this. Because if we put up with this and Americans get to call the shots... And every time they don't like something, we're going to be we're, we're going to we're going to end we're going to be over as a nation. It will be over for us as a nation. And so they said, well, we're going to bring America down a notch. And they they struck at our naval forces in uh, in the territory of Hawaii. It wasn't a state yet. Struck a, na a large naval base, Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Hit a military target. And the U.S. was you know, on its back heels, on its heels for a couple of years until th things got turned around. That's, you know, history of World War II. You can read about that. Russia's in a similar position. It's, they're involved in their own near abroad. They've invaded the Ukraine. The United States says no. It imposed massive economic sanctions on the Russians, which you can read different opinions on whether or not it's working. And now, as in all the other wars, we're pushing people forward to fight in the Ukraine. I, you go on YouTube, you can see Americans with American accents fighting in the Ukraine. Civilians, I don't know, I guess so. You can see the British, the Australians. There's a bunch of folks there fighting against the Russians. You've got American uh, political leaders and European political leaders demanding, demanding, more guns, more tanks, soldiers, everything to fight the Russians. Will this be the fifth war? Is this the fifth war? Not even counting uh, the expansion of NATO East. Is this the fifth war? A strategic attack that would be a setback to the United States, even in the long term, even if the long term calculus showed a defeat for the attacker, is a possibility. Russia is vastly overmatched. Russia was vastly overmatched in the Allied invasion of 1812, but it was never defeated. This is something the Western strategists should consider as they contemplate a general war with Russia. All right, wrote this three years ago. Nuclear war is not only conceivable but occurred already, it did not result in the end of history for Japan. Let's let that sink in. The United States dropped atomic bombs on Japan. It wasn't the end of history for Japan. It wasn't the end of civilization. It wasn't the end of mankind. It wasn't the end of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Nuclear war is not only conceivable, but we've been there before. We've done that before. And I've also said that the fire bombings conducted by the Allies, the Americans and the British, over Germany and over Japan were every bit as deadly as these nuclear bombs. Every bit as deadly as far as loss of property and loss of life. Instead of taking one bomb, though, it took a lot of bombs. It is not inconceivable that we go back to nuclear war. And mind you, you need to understand this. The United States used nuclear weapons on Japan not because we were in an existential crisis. Imagine if we were in an existential crisis. By the time we used the nuclear weapons in Japan, 
Uh, Japan had effectively lost. We just had made a determination that we were actually going to occupy the islands of Japan. And we said, what's the easiest, cheapest way to do that? And it's to nuke them. That was not an existential decision. It was a cold-hearted, logical decision. Is it possible that the Russians or the Chinese make a similar decision? I think it's possible. I'll, I'll repost this article up here at bloodandfaith.com. I'll, I'll put it back up. Most Americans are not historically minded enough to understand this stuff, but it's, all, it's just it's basic history. Heck, you can read Wikipedia and find out whether or not what I'm saying is true. It's all true. It's all sourced. There, there is a group of people, a nebulous group of people, that really want the United States of America destroyed. Uh, much of it has come out of their own mouths, out of their own tongues. And I'm not talking the Russians or the Chinese. I'm talking about an internal problem. There's a deep-seated hatred towards whites and Christians. Deep-seated hatred towards them. You don't believe me? Here, let me, let me read something to you. Now, I've read this before, but it's worth reading again. And it shows you what's... Not, you and I, sitting where we sit, it's hard for us to imagine this stuff. But this is how some of the rabble feel. Now, remember, Book of Acts... I mean, there's many nefarious people, but behind it all, in the book of Acts, were the people that called themselves Jews. And they bribed and coerced and blackmailed the rich and the powerful, and they bribed and stirred up the rabble. You saw that from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, from his trial uh, before Pilate. They stirred up the rabble, they stirred up the people. You saw that all through the book of Acts, they stir up the rabble. As well as, in Pilate's case, they blackmailed him. They said, listen, you, you, you protect Jesus Christ, you're no friends of Caesar's. Hello, we got friends at court over there in Rome, and we will see to it that he knows the story from our perspective, and you will be executed. That's the story there. Blackmail operations continue to exist today. Epstein Island blackmail operation. You know, you just, you know, one, who in the United States government is not blackmailed? That's number one. Number two is, how many people do you really need to have control of in order to control what this country does? I mean, you go back and read some of the quotes by Ariel Sharon, former prime minister of Israel. He says, listen, people worry about you know, what America will do. And I, he says, I just keep telling them, don't worry. Americans will do, will do what we tell them to do. What, what does that say? All right, so here's, here's one of our fellow Americans. No doubt he's not on any list by the government. But I am, being white and Christian and proud of both. Here's what he says. And again, this is from a Twitter or a tweet or something like that. So it's not, it's, it's not his term paper. But it gives you an idea of what's in the minds of the people. He says, the radical Christians are found in rural areas. Their towns are defenseless, they have almost no cops, and their firemen are volunteers. They have to borrow cops and firemen from neighboring jurisdictions 
miles away in order to handle anything big. And they think they're safe out there. Forget burning cities. Cities are on our sides. It's time for rural areas to feel the heat. You show up 100 deep in every rural town in a 50-mile radius intent on revolution, you'll crash their system and make them pay. If you think I'm kidding, I'm dead serious. This was caused by backward-ass rural conservatives operating out of a Christianized worldview. Even if they're not Christian, they're heavily influenced by it. They were the ones who voted for Trump in 16. Those disillusioned, redneck, white trash, blue-collar. Who flipped massively for the GOP. Punished them. Punished their towns. They say BLM burned cities to the ground. I say, let them see firsthand what it's like when a community is truly burned to the ground. They want a civil war. They should have been careful what they asked for and voted for. He goes on, he says, I'm not the organizing type, but maybe someone who is can organize that. Start in a certain state in the Midwest. Who's stirring up the rabble? Somebody's stirring up the rabble. That's the rabble. You want a theological context to it? That's the rabble. Stirred up by the people that called themselves Jews. There's your theological context for Antifa BLM, right there. 82 times it mentions in the book of Acts alone about the JEW. I, I didn't write the Bible. I didn't inspire Luke to write it. The Holy Spirit did. And you got all the tactics, techniques, and procedures of those people right there. Blackmail, bribery, accusation, coercion, violence, murder, stirring up the rebel. It's all there. It's all there. You don't need to reinvent this stuff. And the enemy is right there. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 15. I talk a lot about this at bloodandfaith.com. And, 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 you know, like I've said before, I, I didn't go attend some meeting and get converted to this stuff. I read the Bible. I read the Holy Scriptures. I read the Bible seeking answers for myself. And I read the Bible, and I'm like, oh, my God. How come I've never seen this before? Prepare for war. You need to prepare for war seriously. And, and the, the, we have been trained over my generation to let the government fix the problem. Nobody's alive in America where we had to solve our own problems. Very, very few. Very, very few people. You say, oh, well, my great uncle, he lived out in the woods and he had an outhouse. Well, you know, good. I suggest you learn how to build an outhouse. I really seriously do. I suggest you figure out how to build an outhouse how to get your own water, how to raise your own chickens. Do you really think chicken eggs should be eight bucks a dozen? Or is this a manufactured crisis? Kind of like COVID was a manufactured crisis. And the solution was a manufactured death jab. It's manufactured, man, I'm telling you. Now you got this war over there, a manufactured war over there. And it, I, I, I'm just, I'm, this is what I see in history, okay? And I'll, I'll put a link up to the article. 
Russia's been around and around on this one. And, and what I see in their past and their history is like, they may not win. They won't win. They're not going to win. But by God, they're going to make sure the other side doesn't either. At a certain point, the church is going to have to wake up. At a certain point, the church has got to wake up. And the pastors that are in charge either have to wake up or they have to go. Bye-bye. See ya. Get fired. Because in my mind, for what I see, they are not even remotely prepared for what's coming. Not even remotely. They're not even thinking about these things. They have a passive church, and they're passive preachers. A good man. I'm not saying they're bad men. Great, wonderful, whatever. I'm saying y'all ain't prepared for what's coming. You're not. And what's worse is you're not even thinking about it. I had a sermon this morning about exceedingly great violence. Joshua, 11th, 12th chapters of Joshua, 10th and 11th chapters, I think. Has that even crossed through somebody's mind? This stuff's coming. It's coming. It's coming whether you're ready or not, whether you like it or not. Well, I just, I think God's going to rapture us out of here before. That sounds like the tribulation. Do you know the tribulation's been going on for 2,000 years? Why? I'm, I'm, where, where's that scripture? It's one of the scriptures in your Bible. I don't have it on my fingertips, but it says, you know, we are in the tribulation now. <laughs> this tribulation. <laughs> and we have this sick theology that blinds us to reality, disarms us. And, that, and, and we think that the authorities are going to solve the problem. The authorities are poisoning you. Biological warfare. They lie to you. The news isn't the news. They are government tools of propaganda. Or the government is a tool of their propaganda. These things that call themselves news outlets, they're, they're arms of ideological social and political control. They tell you what you're permitted to think about and what you're not permitted to think about. And if you think out of it, you're an extremist, you're a Nazi, you're a racist, you're sexist, you're homophobic. And the church of all people, of all the people on the planet, should have been the ones to shake that stuff off and just say, man, that, that, that's, you know, get that off of me. I don't need that stuff. Just shall live by faith. You're not going to put your false guilt on me. Martin Luther, get up off your knees, Martin Luther. Holy Spirit finally spoke to Martin Luther. Get off your knees, man. The just shall live by faith. And you got these churches groveling, groveling to make themselves appear righteous to those that have rejected Jesus Christ. Church is not ready. Church ain't ready, man. Church is not ready. Imagine everything goes away. The whole world that you thought was, was, was here was going to take care of you is gone. Honey, they're coming after you, whether you're a Christian or, 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 or not. They're coming after you. You're white, you're Christian, they're coming after you. You are the enemy. You're, you're the enemy. they got half the whites brainwashing and thinking that white people are the enemy. Who's doing this? It's the enemy of all mankind. The enemy of all mankind is doing it. The enemy of Jesus Christ is doing it. It's all in the Bible. Well, I don't believe that. I know you don't. That's the problem. 
has a problem in the evangelical church. It's right there in front of us, but we, we, we refuse to accept what it says in black and white, or red and white for that matter. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the world as you know it is over. There is no constitution. They, la- they, the, the, they, <laughs> they mock you. They pass laws and regulations every day. They know it's not constitutional. They don't care. They don't care. They lie and they lie and lie. They don't care. And you know what? Nobody asked for this stuff. Nobody asked. Oh, they want to ban gas stoves? Nobody asked for this stuff. Who asked for that? They got an agenda, man. Mass starvation is part of their agenda. Mass starvation. Oh, you know, chickens are bad. Chickens carry diseases. No backyard chickens for you. They're liars. And they're murderers like their father is. And the people behind all the evil in the book of Acts, they recruited other people to their sides. They embittered the people against the apostles, against Jesus Christ. And they found prominent men and prominent women women to to back up their agenda and their ideology. This is the Holy Scriptures. And you, and you think the book, you, you claim to be a good Christian, and yet you think the, the book of Acts has no application today. Church will get over this. The church will get over this. Now, there's a section of the church that has already decided that they're going to be Judeo-Christian. And I think that's going to be moving. I think people are going to say, you know what, we're Judeo-Christians. I, 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 I'm explicitly so. Uh, I'm pointing it out. I'm, I, I, you can see it. It's already there. They don't want to be racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic, intolerant, divisive, or certainly not anti-Semitic. Maybe they'll take one or two of those. Maybe they don't, they don't mind being queerphobic, but only to a, a certain degree. But, oh, God, they're not going to be anti-Semitic. No, no. Mm-mm. They would rather deny the words of Jesus Christ that incur the wrath of the Antichrist. It's just it's plain. It's right there. The church is going to have to deal with this. When things go sideways, you know, war is a great opportunity to remake society. You know that, right? When wars happen, all the rules go away. They all go away. And our enemies that have studied the United States for a century now understood very clearly they, they can't get rid of a white and Christian nation. They can't fight a white and Christian nation on, on the outside. And that was true for Europe as well as North America. And, and so they said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of the whiteness and we're going to get rid of the Christianness. They've, they've been explicit about this, both uh, coming out of the Soviet Union with the Marxists and coming out of the Frankfurt School. They said, we're going to debase and corrupt the society. We're going to invert the morality. And we're going to flood those white nations with non-white people. It's explicit. Oh, you sound like you're racist, Fritz. (laughs) As long as you bend the knee to their false moral code, you will always be a slave. You will always be a slave if you continually bend their knee to their false moral code. You're always second-guessing yourself. Well, I don't want to be, you know, whatever, because you are white and you are Christian. 
There's only the liberty's one way, baby. You go ahead and you grab a hold of those scriptures and you 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 read what I've been saying to you here at bloodfaith.com. You read what I've been reading. You read what I've been saying. You go out and, and read John eight forty four. Read Revelation two nine. Read Revelation three nine. First Thessalonians two fifteen. All these scriptures that I've I've read. Break free from that nonsense, man. Go read the book of Acts and figure out who the enemy of the church is. Go read the epistles and figure out who the enemy of the world is. Paul's first letter, his first apostolic letter, the very first one, where his first epistle, he addressed the issue. First Thessalonians two fifteen. They stir up the rabble at Tifa BLM. They blackmail people Epstein Islands. They curry favor with the rich and the powerful, whether it's through bribes, blackmail, it doesn't matter. Hey, come work on our agenda. We'll make sure you're taken care of. And if you don't, <laughs> it goes to the heart of the destruction of white and Christian nations. And right there, that puts me at the top of their enemy list. Right there it does. I mean, look at the administration. Look at this administration. Their, their, their stated goal is to get rid of white supremacists and Christian nationalists. And those are just words. Those are just made-up words. You know they're made-up words. What do you mean supreme? What do you mean supreme? Who's, what's that? Huh? It's made up. Those words are designed to incur... They're designed to encourage the hatred that they claim they're against. Those words are designed to stir up hatred towards whites and Christians. That's why you, they use those terms. They're not against hate. They're the propagators of hate. They're not against def they're not anti-defamation. They're for defamation. They just want to hate the whites, hate the Christians, and defame both of them. It's their stated open goal. They've been, they've been saying this for 100 years. And they've been acting on it for 2,000. What's coming ain't going to be pretty. It's, it's not going to be over in a weekend. It's not your National Guard uh, two-week mandatory duty. It's, it's going to be not good. A lot of us aren't going to make it through it. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I've been writing about this stuff for a long time now. And I, I'm, I'm stunned. I look at the world right now. I look at the world and I look at what's going on in Europe. The war in Europe. There's a war in Europe. There is a war in Europe. And the United States of America is involved. It, 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 this has nothing to do with, you know, who's, who's right and who's right. It has nothing to do with that. There's a war in Europe. Period. Stop. Full stop. There's a war... Involving many parties that have nuclear weapons. The Russians, the Americans, the British, the French to the extent they're involved. North Koreans. And I, I, I'm stunned at, at how we are Walking right into this, marching right into us, like there's just not a care in the world. Like this is the most obvious thing we have to do. Now we have to overturn Russia. Now we have to have regime change in Russia. So they abide by the international rules-based orders or whatever, whatever you want to call it. 
But I, 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 I got, man, y'all got no historical context. You have no historical understanding. You have no idea what has happened in the past. Russia and Ukraine it doesn't doesn't it doesn't resonate with you between between Japan and 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 uh, their their invasions in China and the pressure put on uh, by the U.S. on Japan and and, and they strike out at, at Pearl Harbor. The, the mistake that the Japanese made at Pearl Harbor is they went too small. They didn't go big enough. I mean, if I was a Russian general, I might come to that conclusion. The mistake wasn't attacking Pearl Harbor. It was they didn't take over Pearl Harbor and then put the pressure directly on the American West Coast. Now, I'm not a military guy. I'm just a student of history. All right? And if I'm a Russian and I'm sitting in that seat, I'm going, you know what? We've been down this road many times. We've been down this road before. How did we de defeat Napoleon? The answer is they didn't defeat Napoleon. But they made sure Napoleon didn't win. And I know all the arguments. I got all the arguments. That's fine. I, I, wars happen. Strategic miscalculations happen. And, 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 and you saw what happened two years ago in the United States with the cities burning down, Antifa, BLM, and, and the government acted like, oh, there's mostly peaceful protests. Look, I'm just saying... I'm just saying, you need to start paying attention to this stuff because it ain't going to be pretty. Fritz Berger, bloodandfaith.com.